0: You're listening to audio from the Table Community Church. For more information, please visit us at thetablecc.com.
1: Well, good morning. It is great to see everyone today. For those of you that are joining us online, thanks for tuning in there as well. I mean, I know we have some guests who are with us for the very first time today. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, um, my name is Bill, and it's it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor. Uh, Here at the table. You know, one of the things that is true is that we have had so many people new over the last year. And so now, as things get more and more back to normal, I'm learning what some of you look like. I don't know if you've had that experience before. Um, You see somebody with a mask, and you're like, okay, that's what they look like. And then they take their mask off, and then you say, oh, well, that's really what they look like, right? Like, so it's like uh, we have, you know, 75% brand new people that I've never seen. Your entire face before. And so, uh, man, I'm just glad that things are getting back to normal. I, a couple of years ago, when we began the process of planning and raising money and all of those things to build this building that we are currently in, we talked about our 153 vision that we wanted to be able to reach 1% of the population within a five mile radius of our property here as a church within three years, um, which it would be about a thousand people. There's a, roughly a hundred thousand people living within a five mile radius of the church. We feel like that's um, our ability to reach, I guess, our reachability, if that's a word, I don't even know. Um, and, and so it, from the beginning, it has been our desire to be able to reach every segment of people, every group of people within that five mile radius. And we've recognized for many years that we were limited in our ability to do that because I am an, only an English speaker. Um, I'm not like the rest of my family who are bilingual and can speak Spanish and do all those things, but I can't do that. And we recognize that there is a large segment of our population that their primary home language is Spanish. And so really for years we've been thinking about, dreaming about, um, praying about our ability to reach Spanish speakers within our community. And so some of you are aware of this. I sent it out in an email a few weeks ago. Um, some of you have known what is coming, and, and 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 so it's kind of maybe, do you pay attention to the emails that you receive from us as a church? If not, it's okay, because we end up talking about it too. But we are really excited to be able to share with you and introduce to you um, some church planters who are coming to join us on our staff. Javier Santana, who along with his wife, Mary Ellis, is going to come and plant a Spanish ministry within our church. And so it's through a partnership with the Texas Oklahoma District of the EFCA, that's how we're able to um, be able to do this. And so we're excited about having Javier join us on staff and begin um, to plant that ministry. And so just to give you a little bit of a a preview, and I'm going to have Javier, you can go ahead and make your way up here. Mary Ellis. please come up too, because I'm I'm sure that everybody wants to see you and meet you as well. So what they're going to begin to do is form a Spanish-speaking life group on Wednesdays. It's going to be here at the church in the Effie Center, and so they'll be doing that over a couple of months to gather people, and then the plan is um, maybe right after the first of the year, if we have more people before that, that would be wonderful, Um, but to launch services in the Effie Center during our 1030 service, and so we're just excited about um, what God is going to do. Listen, if you know primarily Spanish speakers, invite them to be a part of that life group and let them know about that ministry because we're really excited to see what God is going to do um, through Javier and Mary Ellis. And so, Javier, just share a little bit of, of what, what God has laid on your heart and the vision that he's given to you.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Um, my family and I, uh, we are so happy, so grateful for to be here this morning. And then I have a couple of lines, but I just needed touch uh, your heart because God touched my heart as well. Six months ago, God touched my heart in Florida and at the same time touched his heart in Texas and then today after approval process by EFCA, our partner, today we accomplish this new Hispanic ministry together named as Iglesia Lugar de El. Or in English, is his place, his place. We want to thank all of the, the table staff and elders team and church for praying for us and thanking you for your support. Our first goal is to impact Five Mile Radio with the vision Connect People with Jesus. Lugar de El will start a faith group from this Wednesday at 7 7 p.m., and we are so, so excited about that. Belong Church, we are committed to serve in the Spanish-speaking congregation and with all of you. God bless you.
1: Thank you. (laughs) You guys, stay here just a second. I want to pray for you, and then then we'll continue with the service. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for sending Javier and Mary Ellis and their three daughters um, to be a part of us. And God, I'm just so excited about the opportunity that you've given to us as a church to reach Um, more and more people within our community to make a greater impact for you. And so, Father, I pray that your blessings will be upon Javier and Mary Ellis as they get started. Um, Lead them to the right people. Open the right doors. Use them to see many, many people come to faith in Christ and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, too. And so, God, we just ask your blessing upon them and this brand-new ministry that we're starting. Um, And we just trust that... um, God, with you, nothing is impossible. And so it's, it's so wonderful to be a part of this and to see you at work. Um, Father, thanks for allowing us to be a part of your work and ministry in the lives of people around us. And continue to pour out your blessings on us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 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 You're welcome. Yeah, so if you guys have questions for Javier and Mary Ellis after the service, they would love to share with you a little bit more about um, kind of their background and history and what they're planning to do and all of those things. I am sure that if you are a... got to get rid of this. If you are a sports fan at all, you have heard the term, and probably most of you, even if you're not necessarily a sports fan, you've heard the term bandwagon. Maybe you've been accused of being a bandwagon fan before. There are lots of people that are that because I think, and what that means is basically you you become a fan of a team because they have the best player or they have been the best team, right? So we're all on the same page. The reason that there are so many bandwagon fans is because people don't understand that there are actually rules that determine which teams you're allowed to be a fan of. And so this is just... Like public service announcement, I'm going to help out a lot of you. I'm going to give you a couple of rules so that you don't make mistakes that lots of other people are making. Um, so there is first the, what, the rule of proximity, the proximity rule. So what that means is you are allowed to be a fan of a team that is close to you, like close to where you live or close to where you are from, either one. So for us, we are all allowed to be fans of all of the Dallas teams, the Mavericks, play a really important game today. Um, So, you know, as we're going through the message today, maybe just say a prayer for them. You're going to need some help, I think. Um, We're allowed to be fans of the Rangers and the Cowboys, Stars, all of that, because this is where we live. You can also be a fan of the team where you are from. So I'm from Cincinnati, so I can be a fan of all the Cincinnati teams. You can also at the same time be fans of the teams where you live, if you move from where you are from and where you're from at the same time, as long as they're not rivals, okay, then you can't be both. You have to pick one or the other. So that's the first rule, the proximity rule. There's also a heritage rule, which means that if you have a family member, maybe it's a parent or grandparent, that is a fan of a certain team because of proximity, you are also allowed to be a fan of that team. So it's a heritage rule. Now, colleges and universities, it gets a little bit more complicated there, Um, but you are only allowed to be a fan of the school that you attended, unless the school that you attended is not a major sports school. Then you are allowed to revert back to the proximity rule. So you can't just decide to pick whatever college or university you want. It still has to be, it's limited based on proximity. And there are more rules than that, but I feel like if you just follow those few simple rules, it will keep you from being a bandwagon fan. And so then here, by nature, here's what happens. We have a lot less Yankee fans in the world, which makes the world a better place. Also, we have a lot fewer uh, University of Alabama football fans um, in the world, which again, Makes the world, and I know you guys are hating on me a little bit over there, but it's okay. Listen, that just makes the world a better place to not have all of those obnoxious people. They sit on that side of the room. (laughs) Um, The reason I say that is that bandwagon effect, it influences not just the teams that we root for. It influences so much of life. So much so that we may not even realize it. The bandwagon effect influences political decisions that we make. The reason that polls prior to an election are so important is because generally speaking, people want to vote for a winner. And so if a poll shows that someone is leading, and this is the reason you can find polls that say different things with really contested elections, is because if a poll shows that one candidate is winning, it is proven that they will get more votes on election day, which really it's not Poll-related as much as it is just the bandwagon effect. People want to vote for winners, shopping uh, stores that we go to, things that we buy. Like we're influenced by that. The popular brands and all of that. It's just the bandwagon effect. It doesn't have anything to do with quality or style or anything really. As much as like, well, everybody else is doing it, I will too. It influences doctors, and this is what's crazy, right? So. This has been proven that doctors will begin to prescribe a certain medication or use a certain treatment for things. Not so much because it's more effective than every other treatment or every other medication, but if it's like popular, they'll just start doing that. 1962, there was a fascinating social experiment that took place on the show Candid Camera. And so for those of you that are much younger than me, Candid Camera is a hidden camera television show, it was on for a long time. Um, And so what they did in this episode, they called it the elevator experiment. And so what they did with a bunch of different people was had them get on a crowded elevator where all of the people on the elevator were facing the wrong direction, away from the door, just to see what would happen. And over and over and over again, the people would get on the elevator and turn around just like everyone else. Now, if you're like me, you kind of put yourself in that situation and say, okay, if that, if I were in that situation, what would I do? And certainly, I would love to say, man, I, I'm going to do the right thing and face the right way, right? Like, not the wrong way, because I'd re- recognize all of those are those are the idiots in this situation. But like, the tr- truthfully, I don't know if that would be the case because I would get on the elevator just assuming that Maybe they knew something that I didn't, and so I would just probably follow along the way that they do. And so it happens all the time. It's the bandwagon effect where we do just what everybody else is doing, and it affects so many things, so much so that some of you might be like, well, give us more examples, and I don't even know if I can give more examples because it happens so often and we don't even ever recognize it. But yet at the same time, here's what's crazy, Jesus calls us to be different. Part of what Jesus came to do when he was on this earth was he came and turned the world upside down. And there's this line that Jesus used a couple of different occasions. that It haunts me sometimes as I think about it. And it's the phrase, not so among you. When Jesus used that phrase, basically what he was saying is, hey, you recognize like this is how everybody else sees this issue or this is the way that everybody else lives. But as his followers, he's saying, not so among you, you are supposed to be different. And that's what we're talking about in this series that Wayne got us started with last week called The Road Less Traveled. And so today we're going to be talking about the definition of success and how we understand success. So if you've got a, a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 46-48 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Um, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you can navigate your way to our live event. So if you open it up, and on the bottom right, there's a more button, and then about halfway down the next screen, there's a... Um, link for events. You can follow that there. There's, for those of you that are new with us, there's lots of helpful information there. There is a place to take notes as well as the scripture and then a link to our digital bulletin. Um, the link to uh, or the, like, the welcome text and all that stuff is in there. Um, there is a place for uh, information about submitting prayer requests to us because we want to be praying for you. So again, lots of stuff in there. So if you haven't ever taken advantage of that, I would encourage you to do that. Let me read these words that we find in Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. An argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a child, took a little child, and had him stand next to him. He told them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one, is great. I think within just those few short verses, we see two different roads. First is the, the, the road with the, the wide lanes that can hold lots of traffic because that's the road that most people go down. And then there's the smaller road, it's the road less traveled, but that's the one that Jesus calls us to go down and I think as we understand the significance of what Jesus is saying within those verses and what he, the lesson that he was trying to teach to his disciples it can radically change our lives because what we read at the beginning of that that an argument the disciples were arguing an argument broke out among them as to who was the greatest actually we read about the disciples arguing about that on a few different occasions. And every time I read those sections, I think to myself, what is wrong with those guys? Why were they doing that? Why didn't they get it? But then I stop and think, well, maybe it really shouldn't be surprising. Because I don't know about you, I have a tendency to picture in my mind the disciples being somewhere in their mid-30s. I think part of the reason for that is that that's the way that they have been depicted in movies or, or television series and things like that, and maybe even all the way back to when I was growing up in church on our flannel graphs. The, the disciples look kind of old to me, but they weren't in their mid thirties. Some were in their early twenties, many younger than that, late mid to late teens probably. And so I begin to think about, okay, what is life like for? A young man in his early 20s, late teens. What do guys argue about all the time? They argue about who's better. I grew up playing sports. And constantly with my friends, it was all about competition, seeing who was better. And so it was like, man, I can hit better than you can. I'm faster than you are. I can shoot better than you do. We always wanted to be better than all of our friends. And so it makes sense that the disciples would get together and argue about who was the greatest. Now, theirs just a little bit different. And maybe this is what seems strange to us because I think, you know, one of the disciples would be like, man, I can cast out demons better than you do. Or another would be like, man, I can pray way better than you can pray. But, and so it is a little bit strange, but yet at the same time, when you stop and think about it, it kind of makes sense because this is what all of us have a tendency to do. But it's the bandwagon effect that creates this idea like we just do what everyone else is doing, but Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was going on, and he knew he had to correct this attitude that was happening in them because each of them wanted to figure out how to be more successful than the others. Same thing happens to us. We just find ourselves doing what everyone else is doing, and what the disciples were doing was using the common view of success, arguing back and forth who was better based on that definition of success. And so for a few minutes, I want us to just... excuse me, consider how we define success within our culture. There might be many different definitions of success or maybe ways that we identify success, but I think, truthfully, when it comes down to it, we, we would all agree that, at least in some way, success is measured based on titles, degrees, offices, and positions, Where we know someone is successful oftentimes based on titles, degrees, offices, and positions. So just apply this... uh We'll look at it in some different ways, but like think about the military. Now I'm not a military person, and so if I get this wrong, um, feel somebody feel free to correct me. But if I were to meet somebody who was in the army and they introduced themselves as Private So and So, I think, man, that's great. You know, appreciate your service. Thanks for doing that. It was like, okay, it wouldn't register really significantly with me. But yet at the same time, I think to myself, man, if I met general so-and-so, I'm like, okay, now this is somebody who is really important. Like they have really accomplished something. Like this person is successful in business. I don't know that anybody dreams about being account administrator. But man, if you are senior vice president, like now you've really accomplished something. And I want you to know there's nothing wrong with achievement. I don't don't think there's anything wrong with that. I hope there's nothing wrong with getting degrees. I have several of them, so I hope it's not a bad thing. But yet at the same time, what can be really dangerous when we begin to view success and define success based on those titles, degrees, offices, and positions, is that really what we're saying is that success is defined in how others view me. And when that's the way that we define success, ultimately our identity can be found in how others view us. So my identity is purely based on what other people think about me. So I am successful because you recognize that I have certain degrees or a certain position. But here's the dangerous thing. What if you don't have the degree or the position? Then I am a Failure, Or what happens if you have the position, but then you lose that position? All of a sudden, there can be a, a tremendous loss of identity that comes because there's the loss of the position. And So we can base, it's really easy to base our identity on how others view us. But again, Jesus has called us to be different than that. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when men revile you, when people say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. And so if we're really doing what Jesus has called us to do, there are going to be times where people don't have a favorable view of us. And so we can't be worried in defining success based on our, in our identity based on how others view us all the time because Jesus has called us to be different. But so often that's where we get stuck. We define success based on those titles and offices, positions and degrees, those kinds of things where identity is based on how others view us. And when that's the way that we're defining success, what that causes us to do is think about, okay, always how can I move up the ladder of success? Because success gives me status And here's where it gets really dangerous. Status gives me power. And really, that's all I want anyway. I just want power over you. Genesis chapter 6 is really, really interesting. So Genesis chapter 6, the beginning part, towards the middle of Genesis chapter 6 is where God called Noah, told him to build the ark because the flood was coming. The beginning of Genesis chapter 6, we read why that's the case. So in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, we read that the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil always. And so what we read is that the sons of God came and married the daughters of men, and their offspring were known as the men of renown. And there's a lot happening at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6. We don't have time to go into the details of that. I'll just summarize it for you. Here's what I think was happening. God created humanity to reflect his glory, to make him look good. So what we're supposed to do is be a reflection of who God is in all that we do, pointing out his goodness and his greatness. But in Genesis chapter 6, what happened is that they had turned that around completely. Where nobody cared about what God looked like anymore, they were all about what they looked like, and the status that they had, and the power that they had over other people. So the thoughts of men's hearts... Being only evil always was how do I gain power for myself over other people at any cost? And God looked and said, that's no good. We've got to start over again. See, when we begin thinking... Again, this is the bandwagon effect. Everybody else around us is doing this. How do I move up the ladder? Because success gives me status and status gives me power so that I can use that power over other people. And this is why it's so dangerous because power corrupts, which then can cause abuses of power. Abuses of power where I use the power that I have over you for my benefit regardless of what it costs you. And we've seen these abuses of power, they've been all over the news over the last several years. Go back to the Me Too movement that's taken place, you know, primarily when the movement was started, it was a lot about what was happening in Hollywood at the time with these producers who had power, using that power for their benefit, their gain, regardless of what it costs, women who were a part of that movement and, and shared their stories. And so as you think about it, maybe you think about where you work, and Maybe there's a boss that you have or somebody else in your office who likes to use their power over other people for their own gain. And they abuse that power to make themselves look good regardless of what it does for others around them or even regardless of how true it is. And so for me, it would be really easy to kind of point out all of these other things that are happening in the world around us. But I've got to be honest with you and say that the same thing is happening in the church. It's affecting the church in many, many different places because over the last few years, and I know probably most of you are not aware of this, but there have been many stories that have come out from very prominent pastors. I mean, the ones that write all the books and they speak at all the conferences, their stories have come out where they abuse their power because they had power and they used it over other people for their own benefit. And I think so much of what that was is really the bandwagon effect. It's like this is the way that the world around us is headed. It's all about status and power. And once I get there, how do I maintain that power at any cost? But Jesus has called us as his followers to be different. Jesus understood what was happening in the minds of the disciples as they argued about who was greatest. And so he knew he had to do something about it. And so what Jesus did was he took a child had him stand next to him. He brought him in close, and he said to his disciples, whoever welcomes one of these welcomes me. And whoever welcomes one of these is welcomed by my Father. Whoever wants to be great must be the least of all. And it would be really easy for us to miss the significance of the imagery that Jesus was using if we don't understand a little bit of the culture. If Jesus were just following the common practice of his day in talking about greatness, what he would have done is he would have held a crown and a robe in his hands and said, Guys, this is what it's all about. This is what we're after. But he didn't. He took a child. Children in Jesus' day were viewed a little bit differently than they are today. I mean, I'll tell you, I love my kids. I, I want to spoil them. I would do anything for them. I would buy them anything that they wanted, as long as they didn't get on my nerves for a while. I mean, I, and that's the way we all view kids, like they're precious. And it wasn't so much that people hated children in Jesus' day, but oftentimes they were viewed as a nuisance. Kind of a resource vacuum, especially when they were young, because they couldn't help contribute to the needs of the family. So everybody wanted kids, but they really didn't want them so much between the ages of zero and 12. So it's like when you turn 13, now you can start working and doing something to help with all of the burdens that we have. Priests and rabbis were told, don't teach children because they're not smart enough to learn the things that we want to teach them anyway. But here was Jesus who welcomed a child into his arms and said, guys, be like this. And so it was with that imagery that Jesus was saying, listen, there is a road that most people are going down, but then there is a new, a different way that I've called you to go down. And what I find really interesting in this passage is that Jesus doesn't condemn the disciples for wanting to be great. He doesn't say, how dare you guys even talk about this? He doesn't do that at all. He just tells them a different way to get there. The road less traveled that Jesus calls us down is one that rejects the idea that success is based on how others view us. It rejects that idea because it's not about the way that others see us or how others view us, but it's about how God sees us. This road less traveled that Jesus calls us down, this different path that he calls us to go down, uh, not only does it uh, reject the idea of, of how others view us as being successful, but it also sees the value in all people, especially in those who are the least of these. That's really what Jesus was doing with that child, was saying, listen, if you want to be great, you welcome people like this, a child those who are in the margins. We recognize Jesus is telling us we need to recognize the value of all people, especially those who are the least of these. And then this is where I think it really can make a difference in our lives. It recognizes where we are called to give away the power that we have for the benefit of other people. So the common way is to gain power so that I can use it for my own benefit, but the way of Jesus is, if we do have power, we give it away to benefit other people, because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes, and he says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was very much God. So Jesus being equivalent with God, he was God in every single way. He didn't feel like he needed to hold on to those rights and privileges of being God, but was willing to let those things go to come to earth and take upon himself human flesh where he became obedient to death on the cross. It was Jesus giving away his power for our benefit so that by faith in him, we can be brought into a relationship with God that should change everything everything about us and lasts forever. Jesus, giving away his power for our benefit. So really quickly, we're going to be finished this morning. What do we do with all of this? Like, what do we learn from this and really concentrate on as we take what we've talked about and apply it to our lives? I'm going to quickly give you three things to consider. Number one is this. View yourself the way that God sees you. View yourself the way that God sees you. How does God see you? He sees you as someone who is made in his image. What that means is that we are to be a reflection of who God is in everything that we do. When God views us, he doesn't necessarily see the positions or the degrees or the titles that we have, but what he sees us as are his children, loved, regardless of how anyone else views us. And the quicker that we can begin to focus on the way that God sees us, what that does is it frees us from the expectations of others so that we can be who God has uniquely created every one of us to be. So that's first, view yourself the way that God views you. Second, in whatever successes come, seek to be like Jesus. Again, I want you to know, success is not bad in in terms of the way that the world views it. You may get the degree. You may have the title. Those things are not bad. If you get those things, if you have that success, just don't follow the road that everybody else does where that power corrupts us and we begin to use that power for other people, but seek to be like Jesus and use the power and influence that you have and give it away to empower others because ultimately, and this is the last thing, what Jesus has called us to do is to be different in that we take what we have and give it away to benefit others. And I think the greatest thing that we have that we can give away is our knowledge of who God is and all that Jesus has done for us so that as our lives are being changed, God can begin to use us to see the lives of others changed too.